Uh-oh. Well, good morning. My name's David. I'm going to be talking about sex. Wait a minute. Okay, now here's the deal. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Had to do that to him. I can't quite get the passion David has sometimes. He likes to stand a lot lower than I do. Uh, anyway, it only gets worse from here. Anyway, um, so you better lighten up a little bit this morning, okay? Or you're going to have a hard time. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about marriage and a little bit about dating, but talk a little bit about sex as well. I announced this last before so that there was fair warning that we would be talking about some of this stuff, especially the, the sex part. And maybe some people aren't here today because they were scared to death. Um, can't believe we talk about such things in church, right? Um, uh, most men were probably anxious to be here because they figured I was fur it, not again it. So they were like, I'm there, right? And uh, so you didn't want, you're like, honey, I'm excited about going to church this morning. And she's like, what's wrong with you, right? So now you know women, but some women are probably, they were probably scared to death. I'd say Nikki had more like last minute volunteers. Like if anybody cancels, I'll serve in the children's stuff today. Like I'm, I'm with you, okay? Asking to fill in for anybody absent. But anyway, that's kind of how that goes and... Then again, who knows? But you turn on secular radio and they're singing about it. You turn on the TV and they're illustrating it these days. Uh, you go to a, a movie, the, the movie plot usually revolves around it somehow. If you listen to most conversations of people, it eventually somewhere gets to that. Um, and, and so everybody's talking about the sex issue and about things about that. Um, except for those who probably should be, um, which is the church and spiritual leaders and people who can speak from God's Word into that, probably don't talk enough about it. Um, And David has done a great job of leading us through Genesis and talking about uh, God's design that leads us to joy, which is uh, a really lasting, true joy unlike anything else. Um, And God is the one who came up with sex, okay? I don't know if you think, well, the devil put the fun into it. No, he didn't. God designed it and made it what it is and why it's great. And all the devil can do is twist and distort and pervert that and try to make it into something it's not meant to be. But God's the one who came up with it. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply Okay, and this is going to tell you how openly I talk about this. I, I'll just tell you up front, I've sat in Honduras and done a seminary class with a bunch of guys who asked everything, okay? Any question you can imagine, me and Jimmy Inman sat there and answered for these guys, okay? So I, all my humility and embarrassment's out the window after that class. Um, and so, but even our very anatomy of how God made man and woman should make it obvious kind of how this is supposed to work. Hello? Okay. Speaking of which, getting into the topic of dating, you know, people get into dating and they end up, um, they do this thing of people want to have sex before marriage to see if we're compatible. And as I've heard it put, if if if, if there's a man and woman involved, if it's with the opposite sex, 
you're compatible. It works. Okay? Really. If you have the right parts, you're compatible. Okay? Don't have to test it and see. Okay? It will work. Okay? And, and, the, and that's the... I mean, the devil didn't make it fun and enjoyable. God did. And if you read your Bible, you would be amazed at how much it talks about this in Scripture. In fact, the Song of Solomon, that whole book of the Bible, uh, is, is almost a whole Bible just on that. I mean, it's pretty hot and steamy, okay? Jewish kids can't read it till they're 12, okay? I'm telling you. Finally going to get some people to read their Bible this morning. They're going to be going home going, all right. It's an acceptable Playboy forum I can read, right? Yes, I said that. It's okay. You're like, man, just look at your neighbor and say, lighten up, okay? Let's do it, okay? You're like, I don't know my neighbor. I'm not saying that, okay? Anyway, but it, 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 the Bible talks about it a lot. Some of you are like, what, what was that thing he was just talking about, that forum? I don't even know what that is. Okay, you'd have to be born pre-80s to understand any of that. But everyone's talking about it except for those people who should be. And I'm not promoting that forum, by the way. Um, married co- I am promoting the one in the Bible, though. Married couples should be talking about it, but usually they aren't. Parents should be talking to their kids about it at the appropriate age, but most aren't, which that age is getting younger and younger all the time because of the access we give our kids to all kinds of other information from other people in other places. And uh, pastors should be bringing a biblical perspective to this uh, part of life, but hardly any ever do. Um, what we typically hear in church is just all the don't do it, don't do it, it's wrong, okay? You know, you grow up, you get married, um, the guy gets over it pretty quick, all that stuff you've heard of, you know, it's wrong, don't do it. He usually does it, just ignores that. Uh, but the woman grows up thinking, oh, that's a dirty thing, and, you know, it's a necessary evil, and we got to do that so we can have kids like God tells us to. And in all their life, people are told don't, don't, don't in church. And now they're supposed to do it when they get married and they still have a little bit of that guilty, like, angst about it, okay? Uh, And that's the way it is, I guess, for the upper half of the generations in this room. The lower half of this generation, uh, of the generations in this room, it's probably not like that. Um, It's the exposure to the Internet and... I mean, sex is like wallpaper, as one guy put it. You know, studies have shown kids' exposure to pornography and those things. It's just like it's just wallpaper to them. And exposure to sexual images and activity and stuff is just through the roof. And they're walking around kids. I mean, even before they're teenagers, they're walking around with the Internet in their pocket and access to all kinds of exposure to sex. And it's... It's doing damage, if you remember the talk I did about Generation Z, it's doing damage that we can't even fathom the implications of it yet. But what we do see and what we do know is it creates a lack of intimacy and in relationships. It damages your future relationships. I mean, it just does. Um, and it creates a lack of self-control. Um, there's just no moral implications in the minds of young people uh, to the most damaging, damaging of activities to their soul 
when this is not done in a healthy way in a healthy marriage. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6.18, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians a lot today, 6 and 7, mostly in 7, but I'll reference some of the stuff in 6. 1 Corinthians is absolutely amazing when you read through this and see the abundance of stuff, of life application stuff that's talked about in here. The Bible talks about this stuff a lot, but 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. He's saying there's, this, there's an implication to this type of sin that is different than other types of sins. It's so damaging to your soul. In 1 Corinthians, like I said, 6 and 7 is where we'll be. But then comes the question because you go, okay, I get that, but generations, younger generations today kind of go, well, what is sexual immorality? Because it's almost like anything goes. It's not, there's no moral implications to this, that, or the other. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's almost put in a category of neutral, and who cares? Um, but what is that? You know, you look back in chapter 6 at verses 9 through 11, it spells out. Uh, what that is. And it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And then it goes, and, it, and so it spells it out there a little bit what those items are. And then it goes on after that to talk about how if we're Christians, our body is the Lord's, and all things may be lawful, but all things are not profitable, if you read that, the rest of that, that we're not to be mastered by anything. And here's where I get controversial for those... for. For some people, because of standing on just the literal what the Bible says, okay? Clear biblical distinction of premarital sex being wrong, fornication. I had somebody argue with me one time about how premarital sex was not wrong, but yet the Bible is clear about fornication and adultery. What is, why is there a distinct? What's the difference in those two? What's one is sex outside of marriage. One is having sex with somebody outside of who you're married to. I mean, it's just clear that it gives the, the explanation of how this is to be. Clear biblical dis- distinction of premarital sex being wrong, sex outside marriage being wrong, homosexuality being wrong. But I love the way that that verse concludes, which is always the big deal for us. You can be washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Forgiveness is available. Change is available. New life is available. But don't stay in that or there, you know, if you, if you go, well, well I, I'm... And that's a part of this today is to say, you know, if, you, if you've done those things, it doesn't mean you have to stay there or be that person. God can make you new and forgive you and has a life for you that, that, that is wonderful. But, but when we realize things that are wrong and we stay there, that's a serious check for our soul to say, do I, do I really have the Spirit of Christ in me or do I not? Okay? 
is, is there a distinct possibility that the Spirit of God is not in you because you treasure this more than you do God? And I remember, and, and just for us to remember this um, and think about things this way, I, I believe conservatively, but I love liberally. Okay? So to say that, to understand, because I've gotten the question many times, are homosexuals uh, allowed to come to church here? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've had all kinds of folks, transgender, homosexual, that that have attended church here, and it's totally fine. Love liberally. Now I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm also going to say, hey, if you're having premarital sex, you're in that same category. If you're sleeping around on your wife, you're in the same category. So, so we can't look at the homosexual as though they're doing something so much more worse than, than what some other folks are doing. But pe- people are welcome here, and the only reason, I've said this many times, the only reason anybody that's living in any kind of sin won't be my friend is because they don't want to be. Because I can go hang out with you, and we can be friends, and we can talk, and I'm going to express my conservative beliefs, but we can still be friends. And I still love, and I still, um, we can still have, just, just have a good friendship, but unless you just don't want to. Um, but when it comes to being a child of God, in that verse you have to look at, it's not that you once did those things. You know, you look at, even it talks about lying and stealing, but evidence of salvation is that you're not that person anymore. You know, there's so many ways that people say, here's how you be sure about your salvation. But the Bible always speaks of the assurance of your salvation being a changed life and that when confronted with truth, you're willing to change and and go the way that God says you're to go. That you're not who you used to be. That you're being sanctified. If you're changing, you know, the evidence of of being saved is the fruits of the Spirit. You're becoming more loving. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things are growing in you, and you're becoming that person and not the person you used to be. Okay? And I mean, it's like David in the Old Testament. How in the world can a guy who was, uh, who slept with another man's wife, had him killed, I mean, how, how does a guy like that be, be referenced as a man after God's own heart? Because when he was confronted with what he did, when he had fell the way he did, he, he instantly repented and was remorseful and went after God with all his heart and walked away from that stuff. That's what he's looking for in us. We're not always going to get it right, but when we are confronted with the truth and we see it from God's word and we know this is what God's plan is for my life, this is how he's designed me for, my, for the most joy, then I'm going to run that way. <clears throat> and so... It's not that you mess up and you're done. It's that if you love God more than the sin, you walk away from it. You flee from it. Sexual immorality is the one thing that the Bible speaks about that you flee from. You don't, you don't stand against it. You flee from it. Okay? Now, in dating, here's just one piece of advice so I can spend most of our time on marriage and sex. Okay? So I'm going to say the same thing kind of two different ways just to get the point across, but here's my dating advice. Okay? Um, I'm going to say it two different ways. One way, as my mentor would say, that I've always heard it put from him was, begin with the end in mind. Okay? 
if your end result is you, you want a trusting, intimate, um, secure, lifetime, godly marriage, then do it God's way when you're dating so that you'll end up with that. Okay? It's also what Andy Stanley would refer to as the principle of the path, which is the same thinking. When Whatever road you're on, that's where you're going to end up. Okay? You can't get on the premarital sex, uh, pornography, um, whatever road, going to bars to meet people and going home drunk together. You can't get on that road and say, but I'm praying and I know one day I'll need to change. I'm just kind of sowing my wild oats and I've got to find myself and whatever all that is. I just got to make my own mistakes. That's the most idiotic statement in the world. Okay? Um, I just figure it out for myself. Okay, and I'll read you a verse in here in a minute. In a minute they'll talk about that. You, you can't do all that and then go, but I'm hoping, I don't care how much you hope, how much you pray, how much you wish. You could be praying for God, get me out of this. And I, I just, I want a man that is godly and I trust and we have intimacy. Yeah, I'm going to go out tonight to that same place I go and meet some guy the same way I always meet him and um, do the same things I always do. But I'm hoping and praying one day I'll meet this guy. Okay? That guy ain't going to be over here doing that. Okay? So you can't be on this path and think you're going to end up with this no matter how hard you pray for it, okay? You know, it's, it's, the, it's the principle of, if you think about in Matthew 6 and in Luke 12, both it says, uh, Matthew six twenty one it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you invest in, the path you get on and you give yourself to, that's where your heart's going to be. It's not going to end up over here, okay? Does that make sense? It's pretty simple, when, when, you, when I sit here and say it, you go, yeah, it makes sense. And then you leave here and Satan talks you into, well, it'll be fun for now and you can change later. You get on that road, that's where you're going, okay? If you get on Rutledge Pike headed towards Bean Station, you won't end up in Rutledge or in Blaine. I mean, that's just simple logic, okay? Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve. okay? This is the verse that just explains this really well. Uh, in the NASB, it says, A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Okay? That, NIV says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. So I see where I'm going, but I'm going to take precautions and go a different way because I see where that's ending up. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. They're like, well, I'm just having fun right now. I don't care where this ends up. So I'll just keep going. And you suffer the consequences. There's a version of the Bible called The Voice. No, it's not the TV show, and Christina Aguilera didn't write it, okay? But, it, but I love how this says this, The astute see evil coming and take shelter. But the stupid plow right on and then, of course, have to pay the price. Okay? So if you like being referred to as naive, simpleton, or stupid, just plow right on ahead, okay? Go for it, Okay? But if you want to be prudent and astute, I have to go home and look that one up, right? Then you, if you want to be smart about it, then you get on another path. You see where this is going and you go another way. You look up and see the danger. Don't stay on the path. You have to, find a, you have to pay the price. Um, find a godly man or woman. I'll even say it this way. Don't find a godly boy or girl. Find a godly man or woman and date right and marry right so that you're glad to reap what you sow instead of wishing that you had listened.
Okay? So that's my dating advice. That is all. Okay? Well, I'll read this verse to you too. Hebrews 3, or 13, 4, and 5. Marriage is not to be held... Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now that is all, okay, on dating, okay? Now before I plow into the married sex part, I wish I had time to talk about how not everyone is called to be married. You know, the Bible talks about this. Um, you know, some people are just called to be single, and that's okay, and it's in actually Paul actually talks about it in a way that says it's actually a better thing that because then you can devote yourself more to God and doing his work and so forth um, and not be bogged down by a family and that nice okay um, but I wish I had time to talk more about this but let me read you something John Piper um, said about this and this will help you if you're single um, and and also struggling. If you go, well, I'm not called to be single, but I'm still waiting to be married, but I'm struggling here, okay? So hopefully this will help you as well. He says, 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7, 7, he says, it, it says, by, Paul says this, by no means am I commanding everyone to get married and gratify sexual desires. All I'm saying is that sexual desire is okay, and if a person has a compelling desire, marriage is the place to satisfy it. Verse 7, I wish that all were single as I myself am, but each has his own special gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. Um, this is really a remarkable verse, Paul, John Piper says. Paul could wish that everyone were single like him, free from the entanglements of family life and from the strong urge to be married, but he knows that that's not God's will. Each has his own gift from God. God wills some people to be married and some people to be single. He does not uh, endow everyone like Paul, and some he endows like Peter, who took his wife with him on his missionary travels. Peter did that, 1 Corinthians 9.5. So the first answer to the question, if I, have to be content, if I have contentment through faith in God's promises, why should I seek sexual gratification? Um, the answer is, perhaps you shouldn't. God may want you to be single. But there's a second answer to this question, namely the contentment that God promised promises to give does not mean the end of all desires. Okay, do you get this? It, just because uh, God promises that, you know, contentment doesn't mean the end of all desires, especially bodily desires. Even Jesus, whose faith was perfect, got hungry and desired food and got tired and desired rest. Sexual appetite is in the same category. The contentment of faith does not take away any more than it, it takes does not take it away any more than it takes away hungry, hunger or weariness. What then does contentment mean in relation to ongoing sexual desire? I think it means two things, but I'm only going to read you one of those things that he said I think is, covers it very well. He says this, If gratification of that desire is denied through singleness, then that de denial will be compensated for by an abundant portion of God's help and fellowship through faith. Okay, in Philippians four eleven through thirteen, Paul said, "Not that I complain of want, or I have for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I have learned to, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me." Okay, and this is the big statement: If Paul could learn to be content in hunger, 
then we can learn to be content if God chooses not to give us sexual gratification. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I wanted to paraphrase this in simpler terms and say it this way. If Paul could be, learn to be content in hunger, then we can learn to be content when we're horny. But I checked with David and another deacon, and they said I shouldn't say that, so I won't. Okay? Um, anyway, y'all okay? Maybe we need that lighten up statement again. Okay? But let's read, let's go back to the Bible because evidently my statements aren't very uh, encouraging. Okay? Let's read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7. Okay? Because this is how that happens in marriage. Um, that statement was for you single people, and hopefully that'll help you in some way. Okay? Um, let's read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7. It says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. You see that? One woman, one man for life. That's a biblical definition of marriage. Okay? The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. This is where the women are checking out on me. Okay? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So the headache excuse doesn't work, ladies, but, you, so don't, but he's going to know what's up if you start from this point on saying, well, I'm, I'm devoting myself to prayer tonight, sorry. Okay? doesn't work, okay? And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's, there's so much here, okay? Um, but this I say by way of concession, not a command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner, one, in, in, one and another in that, Okay? So like in Ephesians 6, 16, Paul says that we should ward off Satan with the shield of faith. Okay? That's how we're... But here he says to ward off Satan with sufficient sexual intercourse. I like that better, don't you? Right? Okay? For married people, faith uses the God-given design of sex as a means of grace to guard against Satan. You understand that? Because you're going, what is it? We're supposed to have this shield of faith or are we supposed to have sex? Which one guards against Satan? Okay. By faith, and we understand God's design, he allows us to use this as a means to guard against that sexual sin. Okay. Following God's design for joy guards against Satan and the temptations for that to become perverted. Okay? For Christians who get married, sex is a God-given means of overcoming temptation to sin. Okay? The sin of adultery, the sin of pornography, all that stuff. Okay? This is a means to guard against doing those things. Okay? Now, here's the part all of you wonder about. In verse 3 through 5, fulfilling your duty to your wife and likewise to your husband. Okay? Now, the word duty here is an interesting word. And this was a hard one because I looked in my little Greek study Bible and I went to the back and it says it's also like this word and then you go to that word and it says it's a compound of these two words. And so 
you're, you're chasing down this deal, but what it refers back to are these two words. When you, when you kind of combine it all together, it's, it's talking about things like to be well-intentioned toward one another. Really? I, the duty is like I have to do, I have to do this because it's my job. It's a, it's a, it's a negative, a, a downer. Well, I have to do this uh, because it's my, my duty. Okay? But, but the word means to do good, to show kindness, take good and appropriate opportunity. And here's the kicker in, 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 this, in the one that I read. It actually says that it, it's good intentions to do good. It's kindness as a means of success or victory. Isn't that awesome? When you combine that with this is a, by faith, a, way, a means by which to defeat Satan. This is a good-intentioned, kind, good thing to do in order to have success and victory in your walk with God. Okay, that's a, that's a whole other concept of, of I've, I have to do my duty and take care of my wife or take care of my husband. This, this is a deeply spiritual, God-given thing that's wonderful. Okay? This, that's a different feel than, I, I have to do this because it's my duty. It's a means of victory in Jesus, okay? Now, I know women are going to be like, I'm praying, and men are going to be like, but I need victory in Jesus, okay? <laughs> Y'all have to work that out. It says you've got to work that out together, okay? Um, but it's to do good and be appropriate with kindness. And then there's this issue of the man has rights over the woman's body, and the woman has over the man's body, okay? That when the two become one flesh, their bodies are at each other's disposal. That's what this is talking about, okay? What you need to pay attention to is, because that talks about that in, in, in verse 4, you need to look at verse 3 and 5, and remember it's always context, 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 okay? He does not say in those verses around that, since this is true take your rights, then you take what is yours, you, you, just, you just plunder with reckless abandon, okay? He, he doesn't say that. It doesn't say because you have that right, you exercise your right and you take it, okay? No, it says husbands, give her what is hers. Wives, give him what is his. It's not the concept of taking from each other. It's the concept of giving to one another. Okay? That's a whole different deal. Okay? So I don't sit here on my side of things and go, I can take what, I, what is mine. I only sit back and say, I'm to give what I'm supposed to give. Okay? And, and if she doesn't or give what she's supposed to give, man, I have rights. No and we'll get further into this, I love her, serve her, I have her best interest at heart, not mine. And if she has the same for me, that's a beautiful marriage. Okay? In other words, you don't seize without concern for the other person's needs. The focus is on giving to the other person, not taking. It is encouraging the wife to be ready to give when the husband wants it. It's encouraging the husband to be ready to give when the wife wants it, okay? But do not take when the other doesn't. Am I drilling this in enough, okay? 
You see the difference? The focus is on serving and fulfilling the other person, not serving and fulfilling yourself. And we can get all the way back to the boundary stuff I've talked about in the past and understanding, and I've had this conversation with many people. When I talk about marriage and stuff, I always come back to this of me being full in my relationship with God. I get my identity, my purpose, my value. All that stuff comes from God. I'm a full person. My joy comes from Him so that I'm in a relationship with, this, with my wife and I'm a full person and it just overflows out of me and I can give to her. Instead of, I'm not getting that from God, so I come into this relationship expecting this person to give me identity and value and purpose and fulfillment and joy, and I end up sucking the life out of them. And I end up taking, taking, taking. You've got to have two people full in their relationship with God giving in that relationship, and that makes a beautiful godly marriage instead of one where each other isn't full and they're trying to... But nonetheless, you're to do this for each other if you are physically able. Where things happen, I know several people who are limited in what they can satisfy each other inside of that marriage relationship in a healthy way. Okay? Do you think you'd come to church and hear, make sure, take care of each other sexually, right? I infer from this and from Jesus' Jesus's teaching in general on each partner aiming to give satisfaction to the other. If it is the joy of each... Eureka! Isn't that amazing? Solve a lot of problems if you, if you look at each other that way. Husbands, needs, and wants, you will learn about that the preparation for satisfaction 7 a.m. and continues through the day as kindness and respect. And then pace and bring her skillfully along. Isn't this great? Tyler, okay. Engaged people, okay. Unless she gives shine is the goal. Yes, I said that. Okay, that, oh, I didn't. Piper said that, so I can get out of that one. More blessed to give than to receive. There's a new application for that verse, isn't it? That your husband wants sexual relations more often than you do. Huh. Weak to be ample protection from the tempter. Now, I don't know about that. Okay. Give it anyway. I do not say to, your, to you husbands... Take it anyway. The goal is to outdo one another in giving what the other wants. Both of it's like the essence of a Christian marriage. Not just sexually, but in everything. My wife, in, in all aspects. I want to give to her as much as I possibly can. Okay? You're never going to ruin your spouse by spoiling them. You're just not. It's only going to do you. spoil our children and we discipline our spouse. We're supposed to discipline our children, Okay? But that's how Satan twists all that, okay? But the F give instead of take, okay? And we see in Ephesians, marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel itself, okay? And we see that in Ephesians, so that you get this picture of how this is supposed to be. It says, wives, be subject to your own houses, where we get idiots, so wives, be subject to your idiot husbands. As to the Lord, okay? For the self, being the savior of the body... But as the church is subject to Christ, so also it says be subject to one another. Okay? Husbands love he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might not or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. He who loves his own wife loves himself and cherishes it. 
Are you, are you paying attention to how this is talking about this? Because we're just, okay? Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. Relationship with Christ, with the church, and with Christ. It's a, this mystery is great among you. Also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wind all love it, how a man wants respect and a woman wants love. And so we have to understand that we want a man, real man for a husband, but they're the reason that they don't have one because of the way they talk to him and they treat him like a boy. And so well, if she doesn't respect me, I'm not going to buy flowers. I'm not going to tell her I love her. I'm not going to take out the trash. I'm, it, it's you do after she gets that back. Well, if he ain't going to do these things, he ain't going to love me, then I don't love her. And it starts this cycle over and over and over. And it takes... I'm going to break that cycle. And so no matter what I get, give respect to my husband because that's a need that he has that's a God-given design. Time, it's a thing of... It, I don't care if I feel loved. I just want to be respected. Respected, I just want, the, I just want love. It's why a woman will sleep with a guy and disrespect advantage of a woman and not give her any love, but to seem respected in their... Okay? But, but it's, I don't understand the, the respect and the love thing. From its very foundation, though, the institution Jesus Christ has with Christians, the church. The man leads because that's how Christ gives himself to his bride, the church, and is a helpmate to her husband because that is how the church follows Jesus. And so when you get that of what that is, it, it changes your marriage when you put it into practice. Don't just hear, be hearers of the word, but be doers, okay? Now, now, there's two ways you can respond to what I've talked about this morning. Okay? See how wonderful he is and what his design for life is and how beautiful that is and want that, okay? You can turn to him right now and begin a relationship with him just right where you're uh, of just understanding, hey, this is me. I was going along in my life. I was more interested in what I could get. I've been God of my life that I have been subjected to sin and I'm doing wrong and, and, and now I've come and I've come to this place where I see Jesus and how wonderful he is and how and so I just want to turn to him. I want to turn from my sin and turn from other gods and him. And I'm gonna start following him and doing it his way. And when he says it's this way, that's the way I go. It does cost to follow Christ. Definitely worth it. What do I get for following Jesus? You get Jesus. You get eternity with Him. You get salvation last forever instead of temporary things that don't last. Self to Him. Now, for the others that are here, maybe you're already a Christian and you need to change something. Whether it's premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality. It's not going to lead you where you think it's going to lead you. Or you just know it and you don't care. Well, then there's another problem. And you love God, and yet something has got you off track. You didn't know it, or you just have been overcome by love. Repent and be prudent and change from that path that you've wandered onto. It's right. You can do the same thing. You just turn to God right now and say, Hey, I've been on the wrong path, and I, I want to change this. And this is what I'm going to say. Just hoping and wishing and praying that it'll change. You actually have to do something about it. You got to get off that path and start. To... So I just, just pray you'll commit to do what with Him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word and how you guide us in in the joy that you want us to have. May our hearts burn for you.
This world may offer great pleasure, but that pleasure does not last and does not ultimately satisfy. It just leaves us more empty than when we started. So, Father, may we crave the things of You. May we not sell ourselves out to things that are less than what we could have in You. Father, I pray for healing in marriages today. I lift those up to You and just say, Father, would You help by the power of your spirit, would you just help people to rise up and say, I'm going to serve, I'm going to, I'm going to break the cycle, I'm going to do whatever it takes to have this godly marriage. And no matter what I get, I'm going to give because I'm going to